Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cat Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, here to give you resources to make life with your cat more rewarding and, of course, behavior-free. And we're doing this because Cat Talk Radio is an outreach program of Cat Behavior Solutions, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to reducing cat shelter surrender by correcting and preventing those behavior issues in the home. Our resources include this show, Cat Talk Radio. It's a weekly behavior advice and education podcast, as well as our blog and social media. I also do virtual and in-home consultations, educational seminars across the country, and speaking engagements, because shelter euthanasia is still the number one cause of death in cats. And as long as that's the case, we're on this mission. And if you'd like to help keep us on the air, please consider making a donation to Cat Behavior Solutions. You can find a PayPal link on our website at catbehaviorsolutions.org. And today we're joined by a very special celebrity guest, Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady. Welcome, Hannah. Hey, thank you so, so much for having me on your show. Thanks for being here today. And we're here today to talk about your new book, Tiny But Mighty. And man, this is a massive book. It's over (laughs) 300 pages and jam-packed full of resources for kitten fosters and rescues. So, I mean, this this must have taken you uh, an amazing amount of time. So why did you write this massive kitten Bible? (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have been wanting to write this book for so long, I can't even tell you. I mean, like you, I'm putting out resources all the time to help people engage with cats better. In my case, of course, I'm working with kitten foster parents, people who find kittens and want to be able to care for them. So I've been putting out resources for so many years in terms of videos and written information on my website, but a book really was the next step that I needed to take because there's only so much you can say in, you know, an eight minute YouTube video or in a two hour talk. And you're right. I have a lot to say. (laughs) I had to create this huge book to be able to say it all. So um, I'm really excited about Tiny But Mighty. It is a resource for anybody who is, uh, you know, a kitten foster parent or kitten curious Anyone who's interested in cat welfare and wants to learn more about uh, the most vulnerable populations. I really created this book because these resources haven't existed and I wanted to create what I wish I had had when I got started. Something that you can refer to if it's the middle of the night and you're not sure what to do because you think your kitten might have ringworm or you're, you know, trying to cope with, uh, you know, the bittersweet feelings of saying goodbye to your foster kitten and you just want to hear some advice about how to deal with that. Like this book has everything from, you know, the first step of getting involved to the last step of saying goodbye on adoption day and everything in between. So uh, I tried to create something that anybody who's interested in kittens can use both as inspiration and education for their fostering journeys. 
It, it is an amazing resource. And the title, Tiny But Mighty, refers not only to the kittens that you're serving, but the people doing the work, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Tiny But Mighty, of course, refers to these kittens because they come to me and they're like this little seedling that's just packed with energy that just needs to be brought out through, you know, the care that we give to them. But definitely Tiny But Mighty refers really to the movement of caring for kittens, because I think a lot of people, when they they picture you know, this huge issue that we have of euthanasia of kittens in shelters, they don't necessarily see themselves as part of the solution. And I wanted this to be a very actionable book that makes people realize like each tiny individual action that is taken really is what makes up the movement that's going to save their lives. So, um, you know, tiny but mighty is like individuals creating a movement. It's, It's individual actions, something as simple as you know, taking that first step of signing up to foster for your shelter or, you know, taking the step of donating some formula to your local kitten foster program so that they have the supplies they need to do this care. These small actions really genuinely are what's making a difference for them. And, and you know, we're on a great path now with kitten foster care, but there's so much more work to be done. Yeah, and a, and a very important message. And this book is also just packed full of the most adorable kitten pictures you'll ever see. It's a very visual <laughs> book, and it yes. is absolutely adorable. But the message is clear in here. We, we really, the work we have to do is to really stop them from coming. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you pick up Tiny But Mighty, you'll find that you don't actually learn anything about how to take care of a kitten until chapter three, uh, because the first two chapters are really about what's going on and also how do we stop the influx of kittens that are coming into shelters? Because I think it would be really irresponsible to talk about kitten care without talking about kitten prevention, right? They're so very many kittens coming into animal shelters. And this is a preventable issue. You know, these kittens, uh, it's not a mystery where they're coming from. One of the things that I'm very passionate about is helping people kind of see the bigger picture with kittens coming into shelters and saying, okay, let's zoom out just a little bit and see where did these kittens come from and who were their parents and what can we do about that? How can we like you know, rewind a little bit, go back to where they came from and do something about this. So chapter two of my book is all about, um, you know, trap, neuter, return programs. And what you learn in the book is that the vast majority of kittens born annually are born outdoors. They're born under porches and, you know, in alleyways and under dumpsters and people find them. And they think that they've been abandoned, but really most of the time mom is around the corner, like looking at you going, okay, whenever you leave, I'm going to go back to taking care of my babies. So, you know, I think we have a responsibility, not just to provide loving care to the kittens who do end up in shelters and who are born outside, but also to really put an end to that cycle because, you know, this is preventable and it's preventable through trap motor return. Yeah, yeah, that is that equally as an important message. And and this book is not, I mean, this is not 300 pages of preaching here. It's funny. You've got funny things. <laughs> I, I love your comment, like, riddle me this. What can you love with your whole heart, but simultaneously not want more of? Kittens and pizza. Although I'm not sure I agree with the kit, the pizza part. 
<laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. You know, I try to, I try to express to people because they go, well, why? Sometimes genuinely people ask, why don't you want there to be more kittens born? I thought you loved kittens. And I'm like, hey, I love pizza too, but there's only so much pizza you can eat before you get sick, before you're like, okay, now I have nowhere to put this pizza. I can't even store it in my fridge. I have to throw it in the trash. That's not what you want to do with pizza. And it's certainly not what you want to do with kittens. You know, we want there to be a manageable amount of kittens that we can actually provide care for. And unfortunately, right now, there are just way too many kittens coming into shelters and not enough people signing up to foster them. So yeah, I try to insert some humor and levity into everything. Otherwise, I don't think anybody would want to read a big bummer of a book. So I try to make it very cute and fun and visual, but also address these very serious topics. And it, and it is. It's it's funny throughout. And it's also sprinkled with very inspiring, heartwarming stories like like Chloe, of course, and oh, and, yes. and Bun and her kittens. I mean, it's it, there's some great stories you share in there that will inspire people, too. Thank you. Yeah, I really love storytelling. And of course, the stories in it are true. Um, I love sharing my kittens' stories because I think when we just speak in numbers and we speak in statistics, that can feel a little bit uh, like distant to people where it feels much more personal when you're showing the individual who's being impacted by those statistics and those numbers, you know, just like movements are made up of individuals, statistics are made up of individuals too. And each of those individuals, if you tell their stories, they're very compelling. And, you know, these are stories that people connect to and they, they see the photos or the videos of these kittens and they really want to make a difference in that kitten's life. And what I try to say is, you know, these kittens, they're very special, but every single one of them is special. And there are kittens down the street from me right now. It's kitten season. You know, whoever's listening to this right now, those kittens are down the street from you waiting for, you know, someone like you, a superhero like you to step up. So, uh, yeah, I love I love sharing through story. And what I do in the book is I really try to weave narrative throughout the instruction so it's not just like a textbook but it's also not a storybook it's kind of both so you know if you're yeah. learning about eye infections you're also learning a story about a kitten with an eye infection so that you kind of become invested in the kitten's story and then you're like oh how do i do that hey here's a helpful here's a helpful section about how to do what i just learned about in that story yeah, and and you cover all kinds of important topics like how to wean kittens, how to socialize feral kittens, introducing kittens from different litters, and dealing with the really scary issues like like Penluke and FIP. And you even have a how-to section on how to make those adorable little hats. You show the photos <laughs> of your kittens. I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, I put the hats in there, obviously. Knowing how to make a paper hat for a kitten is not a required skill of fostering, <laughs> but uh, I do think that having joy and uh, you know making sure that you are keeping yourself happy and uh, having some fun with this is something that should be required of fostering because that section actually comes right after in the book I'm talking about grief and loss. And there are these sad things that can occur when we're dealing with foster kittens. And just like we have to be able to cope with those sad things, I want people to have the skills of balancing that with a little bit of fun. So yeah, I did make a section about making a little paper hat for your kitten, which is very fun and funny and cute for you, but it's also great for taking adoption photos. I mean, who can resist a kitten in a little paper hat? It, it is. It's 
it's adorable. And, you know, I have I have fostered my share of hundreds of kittens over the years, and one of my favorite things in this book is the poop color wheel. <laughs> uh, it was a very proud achievement. <laughs> I have to say, one of the funniest things about that was I was working with the designer on this poop color wheel, and I was saying, you know, okay, I want to have like brown and I want to have like a mustard color and a red. And she's like, well, can you pick like the Pantone color, like the exact (laughs) color? So I'm sitting there like on the Pantone website, like trying to figure out, okay, does Giardia poop more, look more like this color or like that color? And I'm like, hang on, (laughs) wait, let me go look at like the litter box and see what looks more like a healthy bottle baby poop. I'm like comparing actual poop in the litter box (laughs) to these different tones. Uh, And I think I got it pretty close, but it was a very funny thing. I was like, what is my life right now? (laughs) But I hope it helps. I always want people to get curious about their kitten's poop because you know, poop is like a report card that comes out of your kitten and tells you either they're doing A plus or they are not, you know, they're flunking kitten health and you want to make sure that you're doing something about that. Just like if you had a student that was failing, you would want to, you know, give them the tools they need to get that A plus that you're looking for. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot about poop in the book. (laughs) (laughs) I, I swear every cat I have fostered, every kitten I fostered out of the shelter ends up with diarrhea in, sure. in in one color on the wheel or another and you know and trying to decipher if it's giardia or if it's coccidia or you know what it is 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 important and if you don't act on that quickly they can crash so fast so yes that's a that's a good part of the book another thing that's really important that you cover in this book is is encouraging people to take care of themselves so that they have enough to go around and continue to take care of others. Yes, that was really important for me. It's one of the most important things that I think is not talked about enough in animal welfare. I think that just like we want to prepare people with the knowledge of different skill sets that can save lives, we also want to prepare people to be resilient uh, in this work because, like I said, you might deal with loss, you might deal with grief, you might deal with, you know, ethical conundrums that can be very challenging where you don't know if you should do this or that and every option seems to just be horrible. You know, like we, Mm -hmm. as compassionate people, we put ourselves kind of in the line of fire of really, you know, challenging things. We're working with vulnerable animals here. And so, I don't want people to burn out. I don't want people to go through this and have it be, you know, something that devastates your life because you will deal with difficult things. So I have a whole chapter in there about taking care of yourself. um, And that's really about resilience. I want people to have the skills, you know, from the beginning so that they can do this work sustainably. I want people to be able to do this for years to come and for it to enrich your life rather than to drain it. Um, And I think really it can do either depending on how you go about this. So if you dive into rescue and you have no boundaries, you don't know how to say no, you don't know how to ask for help from others, you don't, you know, build community around you, you don't, um, you know, you don't offer help to others, (laughs) you don't take care of yourself, then quickly you're going to find that you're burning out, you have way too much on your plate, and honestly, you're not as good at taking care of the animals. So we want to do the opposite of that. We want people to go into this and say, hey, my self-care needs to be on the list too, and not only that, but I need to have a strong community around me where I support other people 
other people support me. We're like a community here. And, you know, all of these different skill sets that you can pick up. And I talk a lot about uh, the different protective factors in uh, that section about different protective factors that can actually make you be a more resilient rescuer. When you kind of put those things on like armor, it's going to make you so strong so that you can get through anything and you know how to take breaks and how to say no and how to find the people who are going to lift you up and support you and how to also be a very supportive person in this community. Um, I think that is just a skill that, you know, you have to, you have to learn and you have to really try all the time to be a very strong and resilient person when you're doing rescue, if you want to be able to do it for years to come. Yeah, because anybody who has fostered any number of kittens has suffered loss. I mean, the percentage yeah. of them that that crash and go quickly, you know, by the time we get them from a from a shelter situation, they they're you know they're usually fighting parasites and they're fighting infections and they're they're fighting so many things that are that are lined up against them that it's inevitable that that you're going to lose. You know, they're they're not all going to survive, and it's hard. I you know I think all of us will never forget the first foster kitten we lost you know totally I write about mine in the book and it was hard to write about honestly I sat there crying writing that story because I can still feel that moment like it was yesterday even though it was many years ago Um, just the the absolute like just guttural crying feeling so hopeless feeling like should I have done something differently? What didn't I know that if I had known, I would have been able to change something. And the the truth is, you know, no one knows everything and no one can control everything. You can't control the past of what's happened to this kitten. The only thing you can do is learn from your experiences and then try to be, you know, a stronger uh, rescuer in in the future. And the, the cool thing about about going through all of this is, you know, when you experience something like loss, for me, the way that I grieve is I use it as fuel to learn more. And so I think back on that first kitten and I write about it in the book, Bramble, my first kitten I ever lost. And it was so hard. Um, and I, I felt so confused and, you know, I actually wondered like, should I keep fostering or did I do something wrong? Uh, but what I did instead of stopping fostering was I took a deep breath I uh, took out a notebook and I started doing research and I was like, I'm determined that I'm going to learn as much as I can about kitten health. And this was years ago before I knew, you know, any of the stuff that I wrote in the book, I started doing research. I remember I got this like DVD set (laughs) that was like a DVD (laughs) set from a veterinarian just talking about different like diseases in cats. And I was like, I'm just going to learn all of this stuff. And I took notes and I still have that book today, this like little notebook that is so many years old. And that first loss I ever experienced propelled me on this journey of learning. And I still go through that, you know, even still when we lose kittens here, it is a thing that propels me to want to learn more about what happened with them. Is there something I could do differently? And maybe sometimes there isn't, you know, sometimes you, you can't do anything differently, but you can, you know, still take action on that kitten's behalf. And a big thing that I do also to heal is go out and trap at the colony that the kitten was from so that I know that, you know, this is dedicated, this, this is a dedicated trapping for that kitten so that we're ending the cycle. We don't want more of them to be born, you know, in flower pots and under boats and all of these horrible places yeah. that kittens are born. Um, I think if you 
approach loss with, you know, a little, like a lot of compassion for yourself, but also some fire in your gut about turning that into action, then that can do really powerful things. Yeah. And the world is certainly a better place because of you fueling that fire and, and applying the, that grief in, in that way. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, here at, at, at Cat Behavior Solutions, we focus on mostly on behavior issues and mostly in, in adult cats. But how someone, everyone, interacts with a kitten is so important for how it develops behaviorally and yeah. can be the, you know, the, the crucial point of whether that adult cat ends up in a shelter surrendered someday. So talk a little bit about the kitten's developmental behavior period. Yeah, well, I feel very responsible as a kitten foster parent for how a kitten develops into a cat and what behaviors they have. I think that we really are, you know, the springboard for these kittens to learn how they should be engaging with the world around them. So uh, a big part of that for me is starting enrichment really young with them so they learn that you know, it is okay to have all of these behaviors that you're feeling, these instincts, because, you know, four week old, I have some kittens in my home right now that are just on the precipice of turning four weeks old. And that is a magical time in a kitten's life because all their instincts start kicking in. <laughs> they get their little canine teeth and suddenly they're like, wait, I think I might be like this mighty beast. Um, <laughs> and they want to, they start being able to see things and track movement in space. And, you know, they start uh, even just having these little cute flurries of energy where they're like, I'm just going to bat at nothing, you know, I'm going to like pounce at nothing. Um, and so when those behaviors start happening with these little four week old kittens, the last thing I want to do is discourage them from their, you know, carnivorous ways. That is what a cat is. And so I think the first thing for me when talking to any new kitten parent is letting them know, you know, these Cats are tiny predators and that's okay. Uh, you know, that's who you've chosen to have in your home, but we want to make sure they're targeting those behaviors in an appropriate way. We don't want to say, don't bite. We just want to say, don't bite my hands, bite this toy instead. We don't want to say, don't climb, but it's okay to say, don't climb my legs, just climb this scratching post instead. So I think mm -hmm. starting them out really young with appropriate environmental enrichment so that they automatically from the beginning know, okay, playtime is for toys, climbing is for scratching posts, you know, I'm allowed to be myself, but I'm not, you know, supposed to target that at a human. And humans are for affection and humans are for, you know, hanging out on the couch and uh, snuggling with and playing with on the other end of a wand toy, perhaps, but not you know, pouncing on your face and biting right. your nose. Um, so we do a lot of playing here uh, with our kittens once they start around four weeks of age. And I always just try to get them in that healthy hunting rhythm where it's like, you know, they know that it's okay to hunt, but you want to hunt in a specific way. And then we give them a little treat at the end so that they feel like, hey, I'm a good hunter. That went really well. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't have that like misdirected uh, aggression happening that can happen if if you are trying to suppress those those behaviors because you can't suppress those behaviors in a cat that's what a cat is you know so right let's right. target them appropriately and i love seeing my kittens be their most fierce highest version of their carnivorous selves because that that's who they're meant to be and you know a happy cat is one who gets to 
have the full expression of what it is to be a cat. Yeah, and so much of that biting, aggressive, destructive behavior, you know, comes from from pet owners that that don't know natural behavior in a cat and they they don't know that these things aren't optional so sure encouraging that as a kitten it just lays such a healthy foundation for for the rest of their lives yeah I think it's important to to tell adopters about how to how to engage appropriately with kittens too and to you know when we do adoption interviews I'm always asking people like what's your expectation of having a kitten in your home and if someone's like oh I just want a cat that just lounges on the couch and looks out the window all day. I'm like, you probably don't want a kitten. <laughs> like right? the kitten, they are at the prime of being like, I am a fearsome beast. And it's like, that's <laughs> awesome. But you have to be ready for that high kitten energy in your home. Cause that's, that's what you're getting. If you're getting kittens. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my senior cat is, is nearing the end of his life. And, uh, and I'm, forward thinking about what's next and I really really want you know to foster a nursing mom and and oh, so fun and, you know and keep one of the kittens in the litter but then the other side of me says I don't know if I can handle another kitten <laughs> you know I think keeping a mom and kitten is such a fun combination because then you get the mom also disciplines the kitten a little bit. True. Um, and I always fall in love with mama cat. Anytime I foster a mom and babies, like I love the babies, but the mom is always just the most majestic of all of them because she's got this great mama energy and, you know, you can learn so much from a mama cat. I think, you know, fostering a mom and babies and then giving a home to a mom with whoever her favorite baby of the litter is, is a really, really cool idea. Um, mm-hmm. I always do if I have moms and babies, I always adopt out a mom with one of her, yeah. one of her young. And they show that that that, that bond, a mother offspring, is actually tighter in adult cats than siblings have been. Hmm. So that's yeah. That's a good I've thing. had some mom and baby bonds that were a little too close, where the baby's still trying to nurse at like six months <laughs> old, and I'm like, okay, buddy, um, you know. But yeah, we we've had a couple kittens like that, but they certainly do really love each other. And in most cases, I've found the kittens that I adopt out with their moms actually become so much bigger than the mom ever does. <laughs> so you end up with this huge kitten, and you're like, yeah, that's her son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. So we've been talking about. Hannah Shaw, Kitten Lady's new book, Tiny But Mighty, The Kitten Lady's Guide to Saving the Most Vulnerable Felines. And tell everybody, where where can you buy this book? Where can you get it? Well, wherever books are sold. So if you buy your books online, you can get it on, you know, Amazon, Target.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, you know, Books a Million. You can get actually an audio book. Uh, which is available on places like Audible. Um, the audiobook was so fun to record because I got to narrate it myself. And uh, it was a really moving experience to read my whole book out loud. Oh, uh, wow. I do laugh and cry in the book <laughs> quite a bit. So uh, the audiobook is really fun. You can also get you know, a Kindle version or e- e-reader. Uh, but starting on August 6th, when it launches, you'll be able to get it in stores wherever you buy your books. So I am so excited for that. I'm counting down the days. Yeah, and it and it is amazing. I encourage anybody who's listening that is involved with kittens in any way, shape, or form, or if you just love looking at kittens, to go buy this book because it's it's an incredible wealth of knowledge packed in those pages. And I understand you. you have another 
book coming out, right? A, a children's I do. book. You're working Kitten on? Ladies, Big Book of Little Kittens. It's adorable. Um, and the Big Book of Little Kittens is geared towards children, but I have to say anybody of any age will love this book. It's a picture book that is uh, just beautifully illustrated with photos that are doodled over. So picture like a yearbook that you doodled on. It's so, so cute. Um, beautiful kitten photos. And then the narrative is all about what it takes to get a kitten from rescue to adoption. So children four plus will learn how to, uh, you know, how kittens go from coming in on from the street to, you know, getting all of their milestones where they, you know, learn how to eat on their own or go to the veterinarian for the first time and how they find their homes and eventually how they say goodbye and go uh, to their adoptive parents. Uh, so it's a really fun book. It is not, of course, so instructive. We're not teaching children about Giardia or anything, but, uh, <laughs> but it's very, very fun and something that I hope will inspire a lot of children. I do have a lot of kids who come to my events with their families. There's a lot of families that come to this stuff and kids always ask, can I get involved in animal welfare too? And the answer is absolutely. Like there are so many ways that kids can help cats too. So um, I do talk about that in that book as well. And I hope that that will be a good jumping off point for kids who are interested in cat welfare, but maybe just need to learn a little bit more. Um, it's a really fun book and that comes out October 8th. I can't wait to see that. And what a great gift. It sounds like a, a good gift. I know several foster people that have young children. It, it'd make a great gift for oh, them. Oh, it's so cute. It's really cute. And it's a it's a nice sized book. It's really big. So the photos are like larger than life. You know, when you're looking at a kitten up close, the kitten's like a hundred times bigger in the book than they would be <laughs> in real life. So it's pretty stunning. And uh, I have had a couple kids here at the house. Um, we had an adoption the other day where the family brought their children and I got to show them the book and the kids were just so excited about reading this book about fostering. Um, so that was really fun. I think that kids will just love it and families too. That's great. Well, maybe you'll, you'll come back on the show when that's out and, and we can talk about that one in October. I would love that. That'd be great. Well, thank you for taking time out of the day to, to be with us and to talk about this amazing book. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I think it takes a village and there's so many different ways that cats need our help. And that means there's a lot of different ways to be a cat advocate. So I appreciate so much what you're doing, you know, for the, the cats who are in their homes and keeping them in their homes. As a person who is finding homes for foster kittens, it means a lot to me to know there are people like you who are you know, carrying that torch forward. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. And if anybody listening out there has been helped by any of the information on one of these podcasts or maybe found something useful in our in our blog or um, Facebook, we'd love to hear the difference it's made in your cat. And you can email me at molly at cattalkradio.com. And until the next time, keep calm and purr on. And you have a great week, Hannah. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. 
Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.